This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're heading outside in episode number 154. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi ladies, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com and today we are going to be talking about getting outside and why it's something that we all need to be doing more, but especially why we need to be doing it more with our babies and our young children. This has become really, really pertinent. I saw this seriously disturbing graphic on Facebook a couple days ago. Maybe I'll see if I can find it to, to paste it. Uh, with a credit into the show notes for this page, but that it was it was this meme where it showed I don't know probably six or nine or twelve different activities um, like shopping, friends, uh, just different labels, but it was all like a little stick figure person sitting hunched over a desk uh, at a computer. Yeah, it was like it was work, shopping, school, friends it was everything and it was all hunched over in it and it asked you know is this really is this really what we want i was looking at that and thinking gosh that's really scary and it's not scary because it's this scary possibility in the future it's scary because it's scary right now as i'm recording this we're still in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic and that has become reality for so many. Everything is online. And I'll, I'll definitely see if I can find the meme again and put the image of it on the show notes just because it's really so very thought-provoking. And I don't ever believe that we need to necessarily be reactionary. I try and be really intentional in the choices that I make. So I don't ever want us to be reactionary and just react to what's going on in the world or the changes, but really to be intentional and deliberate. So I have this teen right now who is going through figuring out themselves, you know, figuring out who am I and differentiating the clinical term for that is individuation. So individuating, figuring out their position on topics and things like that. And, and I'm constantly getting told things like, you know, you need to get with the future mom and you're just old fashioned and nobody thinks like you and whatever, you know, and it, it's interesting to me to take that and then reflect later as I think about the decisions that I'm making for our family and that we make for our children And those decisions are intentional. And some of those decisions are intentionally to opt out of what modern culture says is the right way or says is important or even says is the way of the future. Because when you look at those things with intention, and especially when you look at the evidence behind those things, you see that just because it's cool and modern and perhaps easier in some ways doesn't necessarily make it better. And today's topic really touches on one of those things, and that's getting outside. So I titled this episode, Why You Need to Get Your Baby Outside. And I decided to give it a title that was that forceful because I've come to believe in looking at the research that it really is that essential and it doesn't stop just with your baby. I said get your baby outside because if you're listening to this, chances are you're somewhere in your motherhood journey that includes pregnancy, birth, babies, maybe toddlers, but you're somewhere in those years. And so 
that's going to speak to you. But really and truly, what I'm going to talk about in this episode goes forward a long way from just babyhood. And it actually starts before babyhood because it starts in pregnancy. And if you've read anything that I've been putting out on the blog, if you're in mama baby birthing classes or taking great pregnancy, which is my pregnancy health class, or anything like that, then you've heard me talk about movement. And so you know that it's it's it really begins before baby. So I really want to jump into this and talk to you about specifically, I mean movement, yes, but specifically being outside, why that's so important. It's almost countercultural, though I feel like we have good support for it among many people. But let's talk about the importance of getting outside and why doing something so quote unquote old fashioned is so important. I want to open the discussion with a quote from Angela J. Hanscom, and her book is called Balanced and Barefoot, and I highly recommend that you click over to your library's website right now and put that book on hold or head over to Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes and grab it on your Kindle or order a copy to come to you. The irony of doing that on the computer does not escape me, but definitely take advantage of the the, the modern world when it, when it is helpful to you. But it's a great book. I highly recommend that you read it. It will really open your eyes and I'm going to share a couple more books while or in the course of this episode for you to to take a look at as well but this book is definitely a core I think it should be a must read really for every pregnant mom certainly for every mom of babies and young children and even of older children so this quote is from Angela Being outdoors in nature offers children, including babies, an ideal environment in which to develop their sensory systems. In fact, the sooner children are exposed to the outdoors, the better their chances of avoiding many of the problems we discussed in Chapter 1. Even newborns greatly benefit from exposure to the outdoors. Not only do experiences in nature lay a strong foundation for later life and academic learning, they can also deepen your bond with your baby and create lasting memories. So that's, just think about that and the power of nature encapsulated in that one paragraph. Now, in the course of that paragraph, Angela made a reference to chapter one and the problems discussed. And I will tell you, if you read the book, it's staggering. But let me, because she goes into detail, but let me give you a list of the problems. So these are the problems that modern children are facing. And Angela makes a pretty compelling case, which is backed up by a lot of research, that spending time outside in nature in active play can help combat these problems or at least lessen their severity. So these are issues that our kids have going on right now. Inability to pay attention, lack of physical stamina, easily injured, they're uncoordinated, in other words, they're clumsy, They struggle with poor posture. Children today are frail. Their bones break much more easily than, say, children in yours or my generation. They're prone to falling, which kind of connects back to clumsy. They have poor immune systems. They have high levels of aggression. There are a lot more vision problems today than there were in the past, and it's not just a case of we're diagnosing it better. It's that we do actually have children with far more vision problems far earlier than we did in the past. Children today are overly emotional. They're more anxious than children in the past. Many children exhibit a lack of interest in play, and most of us know this because our own children or friends' children 
but we have lots and lots of sensory problems with our children nowadays. That list is really daunting, but I want you to think about it for a minute and think about the kids that you're around today or maybe even your own children and then think back to your own childhood when you played with your friends in your neighborhood or you got together with friends from the area or you played at recess in the schoolyard and think about it. There were maybe a couple of awkward kids and there maybe was maybe were one or two kids who were kind of the sickly kids maybe one kid who had asthma, maybe one kid who had peanut allergies. That's what I think about when I think of my childhood. I can remember in elementary school, before we made a big move, so that's kind of, you know, your childhood is kind of marked by different periods or epochs of your childhood. So we made a, a major move when I was seven, just about to turn eight. And this memory is from before then. And I remember a child in my class had a peanut allergy. And until I became a young adult having my own children, I cannot recall any other food allergies. When I think about, for example, going to church with my kids now or doing a homeschool co-op with my kids now, it is incredibly hard to prepare food because everybody has food allergies and there's all these different food allergies. My kids do scouts. And on the camping trips, it's kind of funny how many parents are basically packing an entire weekend's worth of food for their one child because the child has so many food allergies. And then if you think of sensory issues, I can't remember anybody ever having sensory issues growing up. You know, you had the one or two kids who were funny, like my own brother, he was kind of funny. Like he liked particular kinds of clothes and things. Um, he liked to wear these big t-shirts. But, you know, it was it was a quirky thing. It wasn't like today where you have kids with so many sensory issues that they're in occupational therapy. And that's Angela, the author of the book, is actually an occupational therapist. And she talks a lot about that, about how many kids are coming into the office to get occupational therapy and their sensory issues. And some of those things are things that we know more about now. For example, we know that babies who are preemies are more likely to be sensory defensive, uh, especially like having problems with walking in grass and things like that. And we think that some of that is connected to their experiences in the NICU where they would have frequent heel pokes and things like that. And it, it kind of neurologically wires a sensory defensiveness. But so many kids are... They have sensory issues now, and they have balance issues. They're uncoordinated. If you talk with teachers today, they'll tell you that, you know, 20 years ago when they started teaching, the kids could sit in class. But today, kids are literally falling out of their chairs. They're rolling and lolling around in the classroom. They cannot sit down. And if we look at that and ask, what is the change? Well, one of the changes is, as kids in the past used to have a good recess period where they would be outside and they would be tired. And it's, it's interesting for me to think about my elementary school before we moved and then to think about my elementary school after we moved um, and then to think about middle school and things like that. So when I think about my early elementary school, the playground was almost out in the woods. And there was a big merry-go-round and all these kinds of things. And we just played and we got tired and we were, you know, we were half in the woods. And then my elementary school after we moved, I still feel like it was a good elementary school. There was a big playground. It probably does not have some of the playground equipment on it now that it did then. 
but you know, it, it, it wasn't quite as wild, but we were still free and able to, to run and move, but it didn't have a merry-go-round, which I remember being really sad about that. And then, but once I got to middle school, there was nothing. And the interesting thing to me is that in the past, some middle schools even still had playgrounds and that, that kind of started dying out. But when you think about it, you know, kids aren't out, they aren't outside, they aren't playing, and then they aren't doing what a lot of us did when we came home in the afternoons was we may have had a little bit of homework and then we were outside in the neighborhood playing with friends or out in the woods. I grew up in a variety of neighborhoods when I was a kid in suburbs. We lived in kind of a suburban apartment complex. We lived in a smaller town, so it wasn't like a city apartment complex. Um, There was a few little stands of woods and then we were pretty free to roam. We were surrounded by neighborhoods. So my friend lived in a neighborhood behind my apartment complex and was we were free to roam there. And we actually went down to the middle school, which is not a middle school that I ever attended because they built a new one. But at that time, I was in elementary school. We'd go down there. Her house was really close to the middle school. They had a big climbing wall at that middle school, which it never had ropes, but we would climb up the back of it where you know the scaffolding was for you to be able to climb down. And just, there was some other structure maybe for band practice or something. Um, And we would climb on that and it had this big parking lot and we played roller hockey. And then if you went a little bit further, there was a creek. And so, you know, we roamed and we played and, and just were active all afternoon. And there were some afternoons that I was inside, I'm certain. But most of my afternoons, I remember being outside, even up into middle school and even in high school. When we had moved again to another neighborhood, it, it wasn't until I, until I started driving, I think, you know, before I drove, I still would end up outside. There were woods that backed up to our neighborhood and, and a creek, the same creek, just many miles away, um, a portion of the creek. And we did crazy things there. My friend and I, this was in, in, in the South. So, but it was still winter time in the South. And I don't know, we got this crazy idea to try and float a log down the creek. Well, fortunately, the creek was was pretty shallow, and at that point, we were pretty big, and so we just ended up getting very wet and very cold, and I, I have no idea what was on our minds, but I have a few stories like that. We're thinking that getting into the water in January, even in the South, is not a good idea, but for some reason, I thought it was a good idea, but those are the kind of escapades that I had, and you probably had similar escapades when you were a kid. But kids today, they don't do that. And so we see a marked difference in the way that children are raised today versus the way that we were raised and really the way many, 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 many other generations were raised. Even if you think back to children who were raised in wealthy families in the past, kind of that aristocracy, you think about that they spent a little bit more time outside. It was maybe prescribed, and I think it was especially difficult on the girls. But, you know, there was more outside time. Like, they recognized that the governess needed to take the children outside. And there were pony rides and things like that. So, and then, of course, real children were were growing up outside. Really, the, the children at that time who were deprived were those who were wealthy enough that their families thought, they shouldn't do that or who were poor enough that they were in some sort of child labor. But really all over the world, we've seen that child life, so to speak, was outside and playing and children were sturdier. So again, going back to those teachers talking about 
your children are, you know, the children are falling all over the place. They're falling out of their seats. Literally, they can't stay still. And then we see kids, you know, kids breaking their bones a lot easier today. The children are just not as sturdy. They're much more frail. Uh, again, Angela in her book talks some about this, but if you compare the scores fitness score tests like the president's challenge fitness scores and those things if you look at that for children growing up in say the 1980s versus children growing up today children today are weaker they can't do physically what children in the past did so and these aren't you know these aren't good things and then then we look at emotional stability children today just aren't as emotionally stable they're much more anxious and there are many reasons for that. And the book just covers a lot about that. You know, they're they're not getting the chance to be outside and to physically use their bodies and to take risks because risks are good for children to take. As parents, we're, you know, and I, I will admit, I have an easier time with this now because I'm I've got eight kids and I've seen a lot, but there are still some times when I'm like and I have to catch myself and just let my kid do that thing that I might think, oh, I really don't want to take a trip to the ER right now. But, you know, you just kind of have to step back as a parent and let them take risks. But um, it's, it's even more than that risk taking. Part of it is this ability to be away from a life that is structured and ordered all the time by adults. Because other things that we see is, so we have childhood obesity epidemic and really an obesity epidemic nationwide. But what we see is that organized sports and organized activities, things that are organized by adults, they don't, they don't have an impact on obesity levels. But when kids are out on their own and doing things, exploring independent play, let's use that term, there are great benefits to that. And I feel like when we look at things that are that are going on with our kids, the high levels of anxiety, uh, sensory problems, really being very emotional, I think that having their lives completely regulated by adults and controlled by adults, sorry ladies, um, and com- controlled by adults is is something that is a problem for our children and so it sounds almost a little paradoxical perhaps for me to say it maybe even hypocritical but I don't think that it is because I actually have a, a very structured homeschool day for our children we literally have a schedule that is blocked off um in you know on an excel spreadsheet right so it's pretty structured however there are large swaths of time within that schedule that are for independent play and as angela talks about in the book and i agree with children need time to establish independent play so i don't really think that 30 minutes is enough you know, my schedule is divided into 30-minute blocks, but in the afternoon time, for example, this time that I'm recording this podcast, my kids have an independent play time, which is ideally outside, and they're out and playing and able to be imaginative and governing themselves. I actually feel relieved on multiple levels when they go outside because when there are spats and bickering and such inside, of which there are a lot, when you have so many children at home, I have to... You know, I have to take the moment to teach, to help 
figure out how to work that out, how to disagree with each other appropriately and everything. But when they're outside, I kind of just let them sort out their disagreements on their own because to me, that's a valuable part of what they need to learn. So again, I don't want to get too bogged down with possible effects, but I want you to understand as we set a foundation for why we want to get our kids outside and even starting in the newborn time period, there's a, re- a very real reason for this and it's it's got a lifelong impact. And we see really extremely negative results in our kids even now. And I believe... I don't know the book this is from, so I'll try and look it up because I I haven't read the book, but I think that it's called Nature Deficit Disorder. And I do have a book on my shelf right now, which I think is called Last Child in the Woods. And it may be from that one, but I'm not certain. So I'll I'll check because I'm still, I've been doing a lot of reading on this topic lately and I'm not through all the books, but I'm just so excited that I want to share with you. So I will uh, try and make sure that the show notes are amended to to include all this stuff for you but let's talk about what I have read and what I have discovered for for right now so again we've already talked about what child life looked like in the past and of course some of what was in the past we want to keep in the past unfair child labor and that sort of thing certainly we want to keep all of that in the past and sometimes kids really did get into dangerous situations and really did get hurt Though, of course, today we have to balance it. There, the reality is, is that, you know, when we think about, like, for example, what Carla Hartley says, birth is as safe as life gets. Well, that doesn't mean that birth is 100% safe all the time because life isn't. Life comes with risks. And when we let our children climb and jump and play outside, yes, yeah, somebody might fall, somebody might get hurt. So there is a risk and we can't ever remove all the risks. And sometimes in trying to remove all the risks and being what we call today a helicopter parent, we actually rob our children of experiences that are needed for both their physical, emotional, mental development, their sense of self-worth and all of that sort of thing. So there were accidents in the past and there were things that I don't think should have happened. For example, gross negligence of children or children being forced to work at young ages, though I do think that working some with the family, even at young ages, is benefit to a child. But we're not talking about child chimney sweeps or coal miners or anything like that here. We're talking about giving a child healthy family interaction, healthy time working with the family, and lots of playtime outside. Yes, that includes some risks because kids need to take risks. And then child life in other countries, it, it looks a lot like that still. And in some countries, maybe it never stopped. And in some countries, there's more intentionality to bring things back. But if you look, for example at countries like Sweden, Denmark, Norway, even great, you know, the UK right now, you see a greater return or an attempt to return to some of these things. You may have heard about forest schools, which is a movement that's lovely. And there are many books you can look up about forest schools. A lot of them are written by British authors. And, or you may, you can go to YouTube and search for forest school. There's a number of different documentaries that talk about these schools where these little people are able to be out and they're basically out in all elements. And they're doing a lot of things that we would consider risky, like building and climbing and handling knives and starting fires. Um, Some other things that you can look at are these places where there's just a lot of stuff like wooden pallets and hammers and nails and bits and scraps of things and kids are building and creating and it's 
there's probably an element of danger there. It's definitely not a child-proofed environment, quote-unquote. And even if you look at other countries, again, if we look at the kind of the Nordic block of countries, you see babies who are still napping out of doors. And those babies nap for longer and seem to do better. And we're talking about there's snow on the ground and it's very cold outside. And yet they're napping in their little prams, in their baby strollers. And so even if we look at other countries, there's countries that have never gotten away from that or they have returned to that or are trying to make a conscious decision to return to that. So... There are great benefits to letting our kids be outside. So let's let's start to talk um, to home in a little bit now on on what some of those benefits are and how you can do that. So one of the things that we see with babies, and this is something that I talk about when I'm teaching um, about baby care, and especially when I'm teaching on baby sleep, because it's something that can really end, impact a baby's sleep, is overstimulation. And Angela talks about this in her book too. So babies can be easily overstimulated. And she actually talks about how children can be really easily overstimulated. And one of the ways that that happens is by something that we do to actually try and and create stimulation and to create a nurturing environment for our babies and children. And that's all of these bright colors and all of, you know, bright colors and so many stimulating things and mirrors and shapes and all these bright cheery things and this bright cheery music and these bright cheery indoor play spaces that are ultra padded with all these sweet colors. And when we look at them we look at them and think oh that's perfect for our babies and toddlers to explore in but children actually maybe have meltdowns or they just disengage they can't handle it and so it's they're overstimulated by the very environments that were meant to really be gentle and welcoming to them well when you go outside with your baby with your older baby with your toddler with your child they're in an environment that's positively stimulating very positively stimulating. But, in fact, the the experiences are very rich sensorially. Your baby feels like, say you have a baby who's just starting to crawl or just starting to walk. They feel, they feel the ground, the leaf cover, the dirt, the sand, the the grass, whatever surface that you're on. You know, because they're probably not staying on the blanket anymore. We, we as moms all know, like, you, I, I've been there, believe me, you've got this baby, it's a beautiful day, you've got this blanket, and it's just this picturesque scene, and then the baby is trying to crawl everywhere and it's going to get all dirty, and you're like, oh, please just stay on the blanket, but that baby is not going to stay on the blanket. But again, there's this sensory experience for your baby of the feel, the feel of that ground on your baby. And then there's what she sees and what she hears, animal noises, wind, leaves, people conversing nearby, what she smells, the smells of outdoors, the smell of maybe the cookout or the smell of things. I Walking our trail the other day, I was wondering if maybe there were deer bedding down nearby because I was getting this faintly goaty odor. And it's like, we don't, we don't have a goat herd right now so I was thinking you know what could that smell be coming from because it was way on the back of our acreage and so there's just smells there's these natural smells the smells of wild wildflowers the smells of animals all of these things so sights sounds smells touches and if you know young children of course taste so it's 
there's a lot of sensory stimulation in nature, but it's very different from that man-made, adult-made sensory stimulation that is so overwhelming to babies and young children. It's actually soothing and organizing. So it gives positive sensory interaction that helps our children and that helps organize them and is actually calming and creates peace for our children. Children, think about it. Children who have been outside playing all afternoon, they usually come in and they're bubbly and happy and then they calm down after a while. Sometimes my kids are still wound up. But usually they calm down and they settle. Whereas if you have children who have been inside all day or on screens all day and it gets to be bedtime, they get really wound up. So we see this difference. And then again, with babies, babies can get so wound up. You see this. Again, this is why I talk about it in my baby sleep class, which is called Go to Sleep, is babies get really wound up and then they cannot calm down. So they have so much trouble because they're overstimulated and they can't calm down and go to sleep. Whereas nature is soothing and it's stimulating, but it's it's really, it's kind of magical. I guess there's no other word for it. It's just, it's part of where we're meant to be. We as humanity, I, I love my house. I love my modern conveniences. I run an online business, y'all. And I mean, I'm grateful for the internet. But we're meant to be part of nature and to be engaged in nature. And our children are closer to that even than we are, being very new and, and just coming out as part of this design that was meant for humans to be part of the natural world. And they're born into that, not realizing that they're born into an internet generation, into a modern generation where you can literally do everything on a computer all day long. They don't know that. So it's just, it's part of that. And it's very organizing and helpful. And that includes babies. So if you have a baby who is very fussy, and I wish that I had known some of this when my children, you know, especially my older children were younger, um, because I had a couple really fussy ones. And I wish that when I had fussy ones, I had put them in my arms and, and carried them outside for a walk around the block or, or a walk along the trail every day to help organize them. Because that's the thing, even with your baby, it's really very organizing for them. And it, it's actually best to carry them. So I first heard this concept of carrying your baby rather than using a baby carrier or a stroller uh, from Katie Bowman, who is a biophysicist. She specifically talks a lot about women and children's issues. And I just love her. My concept of movement rather than say exercise came from Katie Bowman and I'll link to some of her information in the show notes. But, you know, she first talked about carrying your baby because it gives your baby a lot of stimulation kind of like nature because again we're seeing something that's part of the design which is our babies are meant to be with us and to be carried by us so when you carry a baby in your arms you're going to be shifting the baby just because of your own comfort and that's actually really nourishing to our babies on a deep level so when you are out walking in nature and carrying your newborn, your newborn is getting a lot of benefits. And I definitely think take this easy, you know, when you're two days postpartum, mama, please do not head outside with your newborn on like a hike. 
Um, But if you're feeling good, maybe stroll out on the back deck, holding your newborn or back into the yard or the garden holding your newborn. Uh, But that feeling, just the feeling of the pressure of their tummy kind of against you, chest to chest, that feeling of you shifting and them having to do like micro shifting is really good for them. And you may, you know, you got to think about, okay, I need to make sure that they're supported and their head and everything. But actually newborns, I've had a bunch of newborns at this point and, and they're pretty sturdy. So if you have a baby with low tone, who's really floppy, definitely give that head a lot of support. But one thing that you'll probably naturally do, I know that I found myself doing this, is you'll encourage what strengths your baby has. You quickly get to know your baby's your baby and your baby's level of tone and floppiness because you are an expert on your child and you'll you'll naturally start to challenge that a little bit so especially it's especially good to have your baby kind of upright on your body with their head nestled you know into the um you know into the hollow of your shoulder or right up in you know under your neck and having your baby nestled there and and you'll challenge a little bit like letting your baby go for a little bit just safely there and and let those little head muscles wiggle a little bit and and work out and then you'll support more but you'll you know you know your baby and you'll be encouraging your baby and your baby will be strengthening and again this the rhythm of your breathing and the feeling of the wind or the breeze on his or her face and the feeling of a little bit of warm sun for a few minutes and just listening Again, all of this is incredibly beneficial to your baby and it helps. It's really organizing and soothing on your baby. So it's really, really, really good for your little one. And for cranky babies, it does a lot for organizing them. And in some ways, it mimics the womb because in the womb, you're up and about and your baby is moving a lot and is lulled by your movement but your baby is also getting a lot of pressure like when you know when your baby pushes out your baby feels the walls of the uterus and you know your musculature and that sort of thing provides some resistance and when you're carrying your baby in your arms your baby's getting that same kind of movement and is also feeling some of that resistance as he or she pushes up against your chest and kind of even tries to push up or look around it's just a lot of that organizing pressure comes back in and it's very good for your newborn's vestibular system very good for your newborn's sensory system and it's calming especially for those fussy babies and you may find that your baby takes better and and deeper naps after that so it's good to actually carry your baby outside and again it can be for small periods now i mentioned a little bit ago about sleeping outside and some uh, like especially in Scandinavian countries, they they let the baby sleep outside, and for that you may want to walk with your baby for a little bit, and then put your baby in a stroller or in a pram for a little bit until he or she falls asleep, and then have your baby cozy in the pram to sleep. If it's summer, you're certainly going to want to have some sort of sun protection over your baby, and maybe a light blanket. Um, maybe even a light blanket spread over the canopy so that, you know, your baby's protected from the sun. And if it's winter, you're going to want to have your baby bundled up. But babies can pretty safely sleep outside. They've done research on this and a properly bundled baby can sleep outside. So if you're really worried, I'm going to link to another resource. Or if you're really curious, like how do I safely get my baby outside? Or even how do I safely have my child outside? How can I safely help my 
child sleep outside because that's the thing is you want your baby to be warm when we think about babies we think oh my goodness the baby's gonna lose heat and I don't want that to happen so my children actually wear and and I'll, I'll link this to you on multiple levels but my children wear a base layer which many of us are familiar with base layers especially if you're out and about but my children wear a wool base layer we've tried many different things and we've settled on wool as the coziest and we live in northern Michigan so babies with a warm base layer children with a warm base layer on is important but we get those from Ella's Wool. And Becca, who is the owner of Ella's Wool, actually has this adorable little infographic, which I will put in the show notes and also link to her information because she's got an entire article that goes with it. But she talks about how to safely dress your baby based on temperature. And for those of you who are, so we use Fahrenheit temperatures here, but if you're in a Celsius country, then she's got Celsius and Fahrenheit. And she has this beautiful chart that shows you how to dress your baby appropriately. And it's it's pertinent to toddlers as well. But how to dress your baby appropriately based on the weather. So 55 degrees Fahrenheit or 15 degrees Celsius, you're going to have a base layer, then a second layer, um, and then like a wind layer on. And then once it gets chillier, 50, 40, 30, 20, it talks to you about how to layer, and how to make sure that your child is cozy and warm. And she's also got information on how, like if you're out with your stroller or your pram and your baby falls asleep, how to make sure that your baby is safe and how to make sure that you've got the blankets adjusted so that some air is circulating for your baby to get fresh air. So I'll link to that so that you can check out the infographic because it's really very helpful. She also gives some tips on when to use a natural lotion. Like if there's wind or in the cold, you want to make sure that your baby's skin is moisturized so that your baby is able to... um to stay nice and cozy while playing outside. And again, these are tips that will help you for layering older children too. And another thing that you can look for is information on dressing your child for forest school because like I mentioned earlier, in a forest school, your child is outside all the time, no matter the weather. You've probably heard the term, I'm not, I can't remember who this came from, but there is no bad weather, only bad clothing. And that's the concept that forest schools operate by. So they definitely know how to get children dressed to be out in the weather really all day. So those are things that you can look at. But And, and you can take the tips to help yourself be comfortable outside too, because especially if you've got your baby going out, you're going to be going outside too. So those are tips to help you feel more comfortable with taking your baby outside and and making sure that everything is okay. And certainly being outside is really good for the older kids as well. You want to let them um, get outside. And, And when you're thinking about outside, start small. You know, just go out into your yard or the garden or the park down the road or the playground down the road or once a week make a commitment to drive somewhere if you don't have a lot of nature near you. But start to think and expand what can we do in the future and how can we just make this kind of part of our family's life and think about different sensory experiences for your child. So hiking in the woods or going to visit the shoreline, either the lake like we do here in Michigan or the seaside. I was thinking about that, kind of pining over that earlier this morning is I would love to give our children the experience of being able to 
to be on the ocean and experience the waves and the wind and the salty, like just that salty smell and that salty taste. But you can think about different kind of outdoor experiences to give your child. But you don't have to start big. You can start smaller and work your way up. And especially if this is something that you're getting used to, um, start small. But of course, this is good for older children as well. There's this challenge that I'm going to link to. It's called the 1,000 Hours Outside Challenge, the 1,000 Hours Outside, and I'll link to the website. But that's the challenge is to spend 1,000 hours outside across the course of a year. And that seems staggering. You might ask yourself, why 1,000 hours? And the reason is, is because that's the typical number of hours of screen time that a modern child gets in a year. Isn't that crazy? It's almost unbelievable. And so the challenge is to replace that with outside time. And if you were like me and you think about that for your elementary school and probably middle school and maybe even early high school years, even when I think about when I was driving in my later high school years, we were being somewhat of a nuisance, but we would spend time hanging outside of this bookstore in town and we were usually outside. So even then, even as high schoolers, you know, sitting around outside the high school or out behind the high school or at the side of the athletic field, I was kind of part of a nerdy crew. So, but back behind the theater, there was a door out to the outside from the back of the theater and we would sit outside and at the bookstore, we would sit outside. So outside, even as a high schooler, was something that was more part of my life than I see today. But especially when you think back to your elementary school, middle school years, you probably spent a few hours outside every day. And so you probably did get close to a thousand hours outside. But yeah, it's just, that's the challenge is thinking about a thousand hours outside. And and, and they've got some fun principles and things where you can download and, and do what you can do. And there's some offshoots and Facebook groups and everything. I'm not in any of them. But I know that they're there to encourage you and to think about even if you can start small. For example, it's not winter right now, but in the winter, you might be starting smaller and think about like, say, can I get 150 hours across the course of the winter is a number that I've heard. And then in the warmer weather, we'll spend more time outside. But it's it's just starting to think that way. Uh, and then, of course, there are things like forest schools, which I've already talked about checking out. If you think about educators, classical educators like Charlotte Mason, there was this emphasis on getting your children outside into the garden and into nature and spending time in nature every day. Uh, There's a movement today. I'm reading the book right now. I think I've got the book here with me. Yeah, it's it's Call of the Wild and Free by Ainsley Arment. And you can go look at Wild and Free's website. I'll put it in the show notes and I'll put a link to the book. I'm really enjoying the book. It, you know, it's it's not stuff. I, I'm a pretty experienced homeschooling mom now. So I have my own opinions, obviously. And, and this is a book geared towards homeschoolers. But I think it's really interesting. I actually would recommend it to anybody who even has a passing interest in possibly homeschooling because she gives a great introduction to homeschooling methodologies, differing um, differing methodologies of homeschooling, and also really focused on tuning into your own family and your own kids. And I just really like that approach. So even though, you know, there's things like, yeah, I know that didn't work for our family. I feel like overall it's beautiful. And the book itself is beautiful. It's rare to hold a book in your hands that is this beautiful. Um, 
But anyways, you know, she talks about spending time in nature and the wild and free movement was kind of founded on this creating a culture of our children being able to be outside and and be independent and and finding that that place where they can be more self-directed and balancing that with your school days and and everything and and again the benefits go so far beyond just being outside and just the sensory and physical benefits but to the mental and emotional benefits uh, i just enjoy reading a lot of different books about teaching and teaching theories and things. And so one of the books that I've been reading, this is an older book, but I'll link to it as well, is called Free at Last. And it's about Sudbury Valley School, which is a democratic school in Sudbury Valley. And I I can definitely tell you that there are some things that I don't agree with in the book, but overall I find the premise to be relatively enchanting. I'm not going to run my homeschool like a democratic school or like the Sudbury Valley School because I think uh, some of my kids would spend all day on the computer and I would probably go nuts. But at the same at the same time just reading the chapters in the book are short and it's fascinating it's thought food and that's what i enjoy i just enjoy pondering different perspectives and i love how they talk about the kids experimenting and kind of governing themselves and having these large swaths of free time to figure out and to be creative and my own kids you know they spend a lot of time outside even my older boys spend quite a bit of time outside we we have screens here we have computers here but there are limits on that and so some of their time has to be spent doing other things and so they're out playing and that sort of thing but my younger kids are just so creative with their time and their activities and the things that they do and and I think that they get so much value out of that that goes just beyond the physical exercise that I know that they're getting. So much value that comes from being able to create and to explore and to have to call upon their own ingenuity and creativity. And so it's just beautiful. And I think it's beautiful throughout life. I think it's beautiful for you too, Mama. It's one of the things that I'm personally trying to work on myself right now. I've realized that you know, there's a lot that I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to juggle a lot in my life and getting out for a walk on our nature trail with the dog. I'm trying to make it on a daily basis and some days I do miss it because life is just crazy. But, you know, it's balancing and equalizing for me. And especially if I can be free enough to wander, uh, you know, kind of meandering along the trail and just letting my thoughts go and experiencing it. We have quaking aspens on our property and it feels sometimes like a slice of heaven when I'm walking and can hear the wind rustling in those leaves and I can't see any buildings or power lines and I'm I'm a little bit I try and I try and take a walk where I'm with the kids and then a walk where it's where where there's no kids. It's just adult time and that's really nice like I can usually hear their cries in the background back near the house but otherwise you know it's just nice and I think that's nourishing for us as moms too that time out in nature and I think it's something that we don't get a lot so overall I know this episode has been a bit longer but I just feel that it's something that's so important and especially if you're in my audience, you're probably a very conscious, very intentional mama or parent. I know there's daddies who listen too. And 
you probably want to give your kids those health advantages. And there are many things that we can do, diet and diet, nutrition, supplements, education, all of those kinds of things. But one of the best gifts that we can give is time in nature. And I hope this episode has helped to express some of that. And I really hope that you'll explore some of these resources, dive into them, and enjoy the time outdoors no matter what the weather. There are plenty of brave moms. Actually, that's another thing I wanted to mention. Um, We've watched, the kids love watching them too. We've watched some episodes on the YouTube channel for Lowenwood Forest Homeschool. I'll link to this mom's videos. They took on the 1,000 hours challenge and she did some videos throughout and they're up in Canada where it was very cold when they started the challenge. So if you really want some inspiration for all season outside, it's a great channel. So I'll link to that in the show notes. But anyways, I hope that this has given you some inspiration and helps you to think about that. And two, to think about even while I, and I'm coming from a place as somebody who definitely advocates at least a strong rhythm for your child's day. And especially if you've got a lot of kids or you're a homeschooling mom, I think that a good schedule is a huge tool and helper and blessing to your family. But I think that plenty of free, independent hours in nature is an essential part of that. And it may have to start slowly, and it may have to start with some protests of screen time is a big part of your family's life, and you're hoping to cut back on that. But it's definitely a worthwhile investment that leads to many beautiful, lifelong dividends, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, just on so many levels. So with that, ladies, we're going to go. I mentioned a ton of stuff, so please check out the show notes for this episode so that you can see the infographics and links to all of that. I'll try and link to a couple of videos about forest schools that are good videos, and I'll I'll link to all the books that I mentioned. But enjoy. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to TrustBirth101.com. That's TrustBirth101.com. You can sign up for the newsletter list there. I'll let you know about new articles, new podcasts, anything going on. And with that, I hope that you have a blessed week and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.BirthBabyLife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.